0: Ladies and gentlemen, this is your time to grow, give, and expand. I'm your host, Doug Myers. Let's get started. And welcome to another episode of the Grow, Give, Expand podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this is your first time listening to the show, a special welcome to you. And for all the return listeners, welcome back. I'm happy you're continuing to show up, listening to the show, and providing your words of encouragement. I'm eager to introduce this episode's guest, Kevin Kokoska. Kevin is a counselor, performer, and a teacher. Through his private practice, Kokoska & Co., he offers clinical counseling and creative consulting services, performs one-person plays about mental health, and teaches in the family and Community Counseling Program at the Native Education College in Vancouver. A little fun fact for those of you prepping for your eventual shot on Jeopardy! Kakaska, loosely translated, means broody hen. Hmm, interesting. We recorded this episode from Kevin's unique office and studio space, where I got the privilege of taking the counselor's chair and putting the man himself in the client's chair, which I think lends itself well as a visual for the conversation we weaved our way through. Kevin pulls back the curtain for all of us who may be wondering what therapy looks like and in doing so, clarifies a number of misconceptions and beliefs about what a successful therapeutic alliance looks like. We dig into the world of life coaching and discuss both the differences and similarities between the practice of life coaching and counseling psychology. We also share a number of personal stories of current and or past events from our lives and wrap a psychological context around them. This includes decisions to walk away from competitive sports, career changes, and the introduction of Shadow Duck. More on that to come later. What I found really valuable about this conversation and what I think you will find valuable as well is that as the recording goes on and the conversation goes deeper, it becomes clear that this conversation has a similarity to what a therapy session may look like. This is something that Kevin discusses at points during the show. Therapy is, in many cases, simply a conversation in which two people, in the context of wanting to get a deeper understanding of an event, an issue, a feeling, or experience, they come together to explore. And it's the role of the clinical counseling psychologist to help guide that conversation in the most beneficial way for the advancement of the client. In some ways, I think I was just meagied into my first therapy session, a little wax on, wax off. But given the value and insights that Kevin provided, I'm quite happy that this occurred. This show starts off a little bit differently in medius res, no formal introduction necessary, as we got into a natural flow and decided to just keep the vibe going. I hope you will enjoy and learn from this conversation as much as I did. Let's grow, give, and expand with this episode's guest, Kevin Kakoska. We're just getting ready to start the show here and and uh, Kevin's Kevin's bumping away on the emails. I'm I'm in I'm in his world. Yeah. He's keeping that athletic, you know. He is a former uh, university athlete. You did you did rowing at UBC, didn't you? you
1: no, know, I tried to um, I was walking. We're good
0: to go. Yeah, we're ready whenever you are. I was walking like the Nah, man. He
1: just clicks it on and the person comes into the room and they're just going. So the (laughs) the person's like getting settled in. Right. I'm in my client chair.
0: Nice. Did you want to... We can
1: switch. No, this is cool, I think. Yeah?
0: Does this feel like... Because you guys go through uh, training like this, don't you?
1: Yeah, we do. Yeah. You mean like taking turns being client and counselor? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like that's a requirement, isn't
1: it? It is a requirement. And... So first of all, a couple things. Just, just as, ta- as soon as I sit in this chair, what it reminds me of is uh, sometimes after counseling sessions, when I'm writing my notes, I will sit in this chair, in the client chair, and it's kind of like, a, I don't know, it's just this funny practice I got into of like, the client has just left, I have to make a note on the session, and I sit in their chair. Right. It's somehow like, just a good practice for me. It's almost like I'm, I'm, I'm tapped in or something. Um, so that's what I'm reminded of. Cause I never sit in this chair other than when I'm doing that. And now right. with you, but I did row for a brief time at, at UBC and the mm. difference between rowing and basketball, which we used to play together is, is Bernie love. Well, it's Bernie love. And it's also like, <laughs> um, no one's going to get that by the way. You don't, eh, maybe they will. Maybe they'll look it up. I think there's only one of them out there. So you can, <laughs> they can, yeah. they can choose that path if they want. Yeah. Um, you don't really need skill. Like the biggest skill is like size and then you have to like have a capacity for suffering. Um, but they just walked up to me at UBC and was like, hey, like, do you go to school here? And I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you should join the rowing team. I'm like, what do you mean, like a club team? Like no, the varsity rowing team. Oh. Bam. And I was like, because they have like an entry program, or I can't remember what it's called. Like, they have like a recruiting program where they take people that they just like find around, put them through these tests. And it's very kind of like formulaic. It's like, okay, he's 6'6, six, six, and this is how fast he runs the mile, and this is how how hard he can row in 60 seconds. And they're like, they can put it into a computer, and they'll be like, yeah, he'll be good, or he won't be, or, or has the potential to be good.
0: Wow. Didn't know that.
1: So I did it. I only did it for like a semester because I was living in. A, in kits in Vancouver here. And to get to the UBC Row Club, which is in Richmond, it's beautiful. I had to take the Granville Street night bus. So there's people coming home from the clubs mm-hmm. and then me and it's winter. And it was like insane. It was like so cold. And when you're learning to row, you fall into the boat sometimes cause it's just like you don't have, you don't have a knack for it yet those were dark dark times <laughs>
0: <laughs> dark and cold dark and, I, you and stormy you know i
1: actually think though that was is like that was my last cuz that was after i was done playing basketball that was my last little go of like i should do sports you know like i had i had told myself i was done with competitive sports with basketball and then that opportunity came up and it so didn't work for me i was like whoa like that that just wasn't like I was excited by the fact that I could do it or something, or like the coach was like, you could be, you know, you're the right size for this. But like in me, there was no interest in rowing, right? Like I don't, like I wasn't, my competitive instinct was being kind of like slowly taken over by a more creative instinct, I think, which is much more true to me, but it's so easy to get sucked into that, hey, I think this is for you, kid, or whatever mm. that thing is, right? Which we all get, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i sure you got it, playing basketball at some point
0: is it kind of you think especially when you're younger and you you're starting to come into your your own really who you want to be which is quite a theme that i play on when we when we have the podcast is you're starting to think less about what am i good at and you and i were just talking about this before we started recording Mm -hmm what you're good at versus what makes you happy and what you want to actually pursue. And it kind of sounds like you were being pulled into rowing because somebody else said you might be good at it, but in the back of your mind you're like, "Eh, I don't really care about this, but I want to start pursuing something else.
1: Yeah, I was being pulled into rowing uh, in the very same way I got pulled into basketball, but just as a grown man instead of like as a kid, because I've got an early birthday, always have been tall, like I just had like a consistent I didn't have one growth but I just had consistent growth. And so when you're a kid and your birthday's in January and you're already taller than people, you're gonna get validation for being good at basketball simply because you're taller than everybody. And then it's like, hey, this is what this is what I am. My dad played basketball. It's like instantly like like this persona is forming of like, what does Kevin do? Oh he plays basketball, you know? Yeah. And that just wasn't, I mean, and I, you know, I, I'm grateful for those years that I played and the relationships I made and the, uh, you know, the things that I learned, but I'm even more grateful for, for um, realizing that that wasn't quite true to me. And you were saying before we started of like you being a, a shadow, you called yourself a shadow, Doug.
0: Yeah, I did. That's pretty it that was pretty deep. I shouldn't have said that.
1: <laughs> You're in the yeah, you come to the can come to the therapist's office and call yourself a shadow and expect to get away with it.
0: <laughs> so, we've we've kind of jumped in uh in what's the term? In medias res. Is that where you where you start mm-hmm. right into something? Mm-hmm. Which I thought was kind of cool. I, I was going to stop and uh immediately do the introduction, but I think we're I don't want to do that anymore. We've come too far. We've come too far.
1: We have. And this is uh very much i mean you're probably going to just get this for me in the time that we have here is like i'll just kind of like put a counselor stamp on um absolutely on, on basically everything and um but that's very this is very true to like what a session might be this is not a session but like what's like when does a session start like for me with um for me with it's like i used to say to myself it starts with like literally like what like how you know the appointments at two do they come at one fifteen? do they come at 2.15, like how honored are they, are they like, mm-hmm. what's the fir- like, you know, and they shake hands, it's very much like, a, like, almost like a job interview kind of uh, thing, I'm, it sounds like I'm talking about here. But in therapy, it's like, so much is happening already in the first moments, and those are actually very important moments, like the first meeting at the beginning of what, you know, hopefully is a fruit, fruitful therapeutic alliance is like there's so much going on there and anxiety and fears mm-hmm. and stigma sometimes and sometimes it's a big openness to want to do it and want to jump right in and like let's get it all going today i want to sort through this all right now so there's so much that can happen if you just kind of allow it so to me part part of that's, it's like a nice way to start this I don't, I don't think this is how we plan to do it but not at all it's what's happening
0: <laughs> but it's what's happening let's yeah. go with it
1: <laughs> but i do want to go back to that um you being a shadow thing because what my I know what you mean when you say that because we played and you were very quiet although two things that come to my mind are um I think you um, you allowed yourself to express your emotions almost like in in your game kind of I remember you getting really fired up I remember and that's very always very striking to me it's almost like um Sometimes, it, like a Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard, just yeah. the Raptors are having a go at it right now. Sure, And Kawhi Leonard's kind of similar. I'm not saying your game is similar, like. Not even close. I? <laughs> 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 but. Uh, I wish. But he's so internal. He's so internal so that when he does express himself, like, you know, famously when he hit that big shot, the bounce on the rim four times, or whatever, it's like it's very it's powerful when yeah. when when he screams, right? Like or when he shows that big emotion. It's very fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. But what I wanted to say about you is I was aware that and and saw a lot of myself, I think my younger self. So I'm I'm a bit older than you, so at the time it's like I was I was your elder and I remain <laughs> your elder. Uh, <laughs> what a word. Yeah. And uh but there was a thing of like, I was aware that I should have maybe a leadership role or something like that and, and but I could see in you like a you that wanted to get out, you mm. know? Like uh, i remember nice. like we went to speed dating or something oh, at, yeah. at the school and like. God, that was but, fun. <laughs> yeah, But I remember an interest in you like, I think there was an awareness that you were being more reserved than you wanted to be, but you didn't know your kind of lanes. I don't know if that's how accurate that is, though.
0: Yeah, hundred percent, I'm, and I'm not going to dodge the question here, but I am going to pause for a little bit of uh, station identification, as it were. So, right now we're speaking to Kevin Kokoska, Twenty? No, you're you'd be in your thirties now. You're Thirty-two. Thirty-two. I myself am twenty-seven, so we do have a, a bit of an age gap. So I'm that, your elder. That makes him my elder <laughs> by de facto. But Kevin is a, a counseling psychologist a practicing counseling psychologist, registered
1: Great. clinical counselor, but if we can get into the, how problematic looking and confusing all the titles sure, are.
0: Yeah. Sure. And so the nature of his question and the nature of course, of the show is very much, we're going to be digging into a lot of, I would say conversation around psychology therapy and trying to tie it also into the concept that has become very popular and very um, mainstream, which is life coaching and, Experiential coaching that a lot of people are taking on, and and just to get uh, Kevin's perspective on what that means and what what it looks like to him and and how he feels just about that situation. So Mm -hmm. we'll definitely be we'll we'll try to get into try to get into that today, uh, depending on how much time we've got. But to go back to your question, and and this is one of the things, also one of the reasons why I started up the podcast is because you're one hundred percent right. I was very. I'm, I am a very emotional person mm-hmm. but I don't show it mm-hmm. and what where I get into trouble with my own mental health uh, and and this if if it wants to be a coming out party with this show is mm-hmm. that I'll get caught in my own loops mm-hmm. and I use the term shadow because it would be like there's things going on inside my head and the ways that I want to be and the ways that I want to show up but the ways that I have been limit me and therefore I feel like I can't be that full person mm-hmm. because I'll be, I guess, shocking everybody else around me right. by the fact that, oh, wait a second, <laughs> Doug's got a totally different personality right. than what he usually shows up as. Yeah, And so when you made, you made the point about, you know, showing up in the game and being really fired up at certain times mm-hmm. or go to events like the speed dating, which I, I mean, I still remember that day, like mm-hmm. very vividly because it was one of those moments where I was like. I'm being exactly who I want to be right now. Yeah. That's a really good, uh, it's it's an incredible observation and something that, that I still struggle with, but now that I've started to step in to do some of the things that I really wanted to do, it's opening it up for me. Mm-hmm. And so now I can sit in a chair across from you and, and have this conversation.
1: Yeah, and that's what really is striking to me and why I wanted to connect with you on this is it's very exciting to see that you're doing this and it's like we were saying before, it's, it's lifelong work, but the work doesn't have to feel like work. Like the work is joyous if you're doing it in a good way. And there's always more we can be learning about ourselves and learning where, you know, what like especially for men. Like I work um, not exclusively with men. I work with all genders, but but lots of men want to come. First of all, men don't really want to go to counseling. It's this you know the the the, the stereotype is somewhat true. That's slowly shifting. And if they do, they tend to wanna sit with another man. Um, not necessarily, but lots of times it's the case, and there, and there, and there tends to be fewer male therapists. Um, so I really like working, like I would have loved to work with the younger you that we're talking about, the Shadow Dog, right? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. that would have been a joy, like right now, like Kevin now, working with Shadow Doug, right? Because it's everybody's winning from you being more authentically you right yeah and true um this thing about it's like when do we have permission to be us or to like feel our feelings like this comes up a lot for me in my work like we have kind of these rules about no no i can't i'm feeling that like it's not like you don't feel but it's i have i can't display that here i can't express that in full and it's like these it's like these loops that don't get closed internally. And we can only withstand so much of that, I think. So you what was really what was really great is I could feel that you were trying to find a way to like, you know, express yourself and emote and, and, and close those loops, right? But for a lot of people it's so scary. The barrier is so is so well ingrained and so deep that you kind of get Contained, and then that's when trouble can start over time, right? Where it's like it's a it's like an emotionally it's like a ticking time bomb, where things are building up, but there isn't an the outlet for it, and things that like like sadness will get in men often kind of transmuted into anger, and then we're acting out based on like an old sadness or an old insecurity or an old shame. That this is part where I kind of come in is like helping people let go of those things but this thing like you're saying of you know it would like freak people out if they saw you in a different way right like I'm um, I think that's very interesting right like I find when I go and hang out with like old friends of mine from high school who I don't see that often but see sometimes there's a real strong pull that I feel maybe you do as well like let let's put on like the masks that we used to wear and like, let's talk to each other, kind of like how we did in high school, which is not very healthy a lot of the times, at least for me. And so it's like, how can we, if we're trying to, you know, better ourselves and um, better those around us and kind of like move into this next, more evolved version of masculinity, which I think kind of the world needs us to do and is helpful to everybody. Um, how can we be the type of people who can be, you know, I'm very cautious about the words that I use. Like I was going to say like brave enough. I don't like, I try not to use that much like count to count language, but like, can you be the type of guy who's going to go hang out with your old friends and be the one who doesn't talk like them anymore? It's like, can you go back to them and be more you and not have to fall into these old patterns of behavior? Like, which often lean into this like what we might call toxic masculinity or, or in that arena in this day and age. Because when you're a young man, you know, you're kind of regurgitating the shit that is getting dumped on you and it's not that good.
0: Yeah, totally. There's so many, avenues that i'd like to jump off of that but i think maybe if if uh, you know I, I feel like you're you're pretty well an open book with with this stuff so i'd like to dig in just for people who are listening to get a little bit more about your story and a little bit of more about because you spoke about it earlier how you got pushed into the role of basketball player you got pushed into the role of being the rower and then you finally started to make more of your own decisions mm-hmm. surrounding your artistic endeavors and then going into the route that you're doing now. Yeah. So I'm kind of wondering where those lines almost blurred and and where you started to make that decision and then how it's obviously transpired to what you're doing now. And how do you you feel internally now that you're, I want to say, living the life that you felt like you wanted to create maybe?
1: Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, I appreciate that. That's a great way to put it um I guess the first thing I'll say is it wasn't like it's like I was being aggressively pushed or anything I was just being kind of like enticed right like I was just kind of following like other people's idea of me or you know like doing um like in counseling we might say like uh I wasn't doing it from like a bottom up approach. Like I wasn't, in, when you're young you can't really be expected unless you're kind of like lucky and have like really good caregivers around you to like really be following your true authentic self cause that's still so in development. So you just kind of want to cling on to things that seem safe or the same, oh, I'm good at this. Okay, let me do more of this. I'll do this. I'm good, at, I'm tall so I can like, my hand is closer to the hoop. It's was like, okay, I'll do this for 25 years. And without, um, so this is so this is getting into a little bit of your your question already because I had you know been doing the basketball thing, was serious about that and then kind of around the time when you and I were playing in uh, in college, um, this was like the Olympics were in Vancouver, and the, I was taking these psych classes, uh, I was majoring in psych um wasn't even exactly sure what I would do, but I kind of figured I would do something in sports psych because this was becoming more um more relevant like people were talking about it like in the in you know Canada's athletes at the Olympics um I feel like around this time was when uh the Lakers had won the championship and like Ron Artest like thanked his psychiatrist or something in the post game yeah. interview like yeah, it was beca- it was like getting out there a little bit like people were kind of like obliquely acknowledging mental health stuff in professional sports but as much more from like uh, let's enhance performance or let's like let's visualize the luge before we do the luge or whatever but i was interested in all that and just felt like oh this would be natural for me because i'm doing this sports and i can just combine it with this thing that i'm studying and that's and that's easy so that was kind of like that made that makes sense as like as like a story, right? Like it, made, it would make good sense if a person like me at that time continued on and went to graduate school for sports psych. And I was like applying to those programs and like looking into it. And then at some point, this kind of like, um, they were a counselor themselves, but they were more of kind of like a mentor for me. They were like, you know, yeah, you could do that. You could go into sports psych, but like why wouldn't you just do a more kind of general like counseling psych program, just so you have that platform and then you can kinda, you could still work with athletes, but you could also work with anyone. The sports psych could be cool for you, but th- then that's what you would be doing and it's just a little more niche. Um, and it was really great advice in hindsight because I'm doing zero sports psych now. I mean, sometimes I see people who are athletes or former athletes, but it's not about like, let's enhance your performance. It's more about like let's like let's work together to peel away some of these layers understand ourselves better see which of these patterns or little systems need some updating and like get you back out there so it's just more like just that might apply to sports that might apply to acting I work with lots of actors and artists but it's more applicable just to them as humans you know but when I really started to kind of unpack that and go back back a little bit there's kind of a deeper story I think that is more um, more true like not that it's an untrue story that I was interested in sports I can kind of shifted gears but my family kind of my extended family on both of both my parents sides but particularly on my mom's side uh, um, her two brothers were really um, you know fairly heavily entrenched in the downtown east side and like had addiction struggles and just lots of struggles, just kind of generally. Um, and I grew up in the suburbs, but we would come and visit them. And so this was pretty, like, from for a person who was living in, like, a fairly conservative, small town, um, middle class, It's like, to come into the city and see people who, from a young age, it's like, you know, I'm aware this is my family, these are my uncles, so you love them as uncles, but they also look very different and behave a little differently, and they have like tattoos, and it's just like, they got big rings, and just like, we knew, me and my brother my sister, mostly me and my brother, because my sister was younger, knew that something was different, but we didn't know it as, we didn't know it to judge it. Like, we loved it, we loved coming in to see them. looking back on it now, like, you know, they were living in SRO, like single room occupancy, you know, supported housing and stuff like the scene wasn't that great. But to us, when you're a kid, it's just like, this is, this is awesome. It's like, it's kind of like ideal, like these uncles are cool. And so you're really developing, I think, a pretty deep sense of empathy at a young age, because it's so close to you, but you don't know what it is yet. You don't know you're not supposed to love them by like in our society standards. Like they are lower class citizens and they've done bad things and they are bad things and all this. Like none of that's come online yet. It's just more pure. And that I think is really on the back burner for me for um, in a big way, just in how my kind of career has gone and like how much I guess, like how harder I'm wanting to fight, I think for like fight alongside of like marginalized communities, people struggling with addictions. Like, I'm, I'm like, they really kind of, I got a big drive behind that. And I, I gotta suggest, like, Italy, and this has been through some of my own kind of counseling work as a client, although not, not in this client chair that I'm in right now, um, that some of that comes up. It's like, yeah, like, that's, that's a truer story, right? Like, I can tell you the story of sports site like, guy received good advice, but there's a deeper thing going on there. And that kind of mirrors a lot of the counseling process. It's like, what are we, you know, there's kind of your idea of shadow dug, and then there's all these layers underneath it, which I think are really important and can be fun to explore in the way that we know this about ourselves now and have a clear sense of ourselves now and can kind of put that to good use.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm curious, what kind of people are are your typical patients? And I wouldn't say typical, maybe patients is the wrong word in this context.
1: I mean, some people say, I typically say clients, some people clients. say patients, but it's okay. like, um, I think patients translates to one who suffers. Sure. And so that's kind of nice.
0: Okay. And so maybe the word, maybe the word typical is not, is not correct because we all come from very different Backgrounds and upbringings and what we're dealing with, but uh, the more the, the curiosity for me out of that is, maybe people who are listening who have something that they're struggling with, how what could they maybe ask themselves or how could they maybe identify? The idea and the acceptance of coming into, as you had said earlier, a therapeutic alliance mm-hmm. with someone like yourself, whether or not it's you or somebody else, how can they identify that as, as an option for them that they're not going to feel bad about?
1: No, it's a great question. And it's kind of like um, that question is like a big barrier for people seeking counseling. I mean, there's sure. other barriers for counseling just in it's, it's like... Cost and extended health benefits and all this, which we're trying to kind of like work on to um, alleviate as a profession. But um, yeah, I mean, a big thing for me, and this is partly why I like to do the more public-facing things, even things like this and like my, you know, the theater shows I do or the talks that I give is um, is to like let people in a in a in a non invasive and not and you're not put on the spot type of way like see me see what i look like see what i sound like hear the things that i'm saying and know that it's not like um certainly parts of it can be challenging coming to counseling and like feeling through some of these things that maybe there's been some protection around being felt like not like every moment feels joyous because you can be feeling some old hurts but this the the kind of riding the wave of those things to completion when they haven't had the chance to it just does feel good so it's like it's like um you know you go to the you go to a sad movie and you have a good cry it's like that something feels good about that it feels like tr- good in the way that true things feel good so it's it's not like um I think people have so many different ideas of what counseling is, and they're going to come in and like tell me all the things that are wrong with me, and like. But we're at a place right now, at least in the type of pre- the counseling that I practice, um, which is like it's much more um, collaborative, and we're going to like build some rapport and work together on this, and not be like nitpicking and pointing out. Flaws or anything. It's just from a from a compassionate place of understanding about like we all have this these really rich internal emotional lives, like you alluded to earlier. And then we all have, and this is not a bad thing, all of these protective defense mechanisms. I tend to call them protective mechanisms because that it just sounds it just sounds more friendlier in a way. Like there's re, we had to develop systems to protect against certain ways that we feel for good reason. Sometimes I talk about it as um, like a dumb best friend, right? Like, it's like, they love you, but they're sometimes just a little too loyal, right? Like they're jumping in there too fast to protect when maybe if they gave us a bit of space, that would actually be the most helpful thing. But all our, you know, we can sit here and talk, you know, using our brains about we know what year it is and what day it is and we're here we're reconnecting but emotionally sometimes things will just crop up to the surface and it can for a second take us back to like this is scary like it was when i was six and my dad was yelling me i didn't know what the fuck i'd done wrong right like and we all have things like that in there to varying degrees and so some of it's just like accepting that that's the case um getting curious about it and seeing what we can do with it it's like you know, um, doing a a little bit of the work that it takes to undo some of those patterns or kind of like form new kind of neural networks that are better, that are gonna serve you better. You know, the juice is worth the squeeze most of the time rather than living, living those things out for the rest of your life where I get so anxious that it's debilitating. Well, I wonder what might be going on there and maybe you and I can do some looking around and find it together. But it's not like from a place of fault or like putting people down. It's like, I get it, you know? It's like, and I have my own. It's like, you, you know, to be a counselor, you don't have to like, you haven't, you have a master's degree, but you haven't mastered this emotions shit, right? It's like, you're, I'm working on it too all the time, but I maybe just have like, uh, a different sense of it or from my training have some things that we might work on together that could help you release from some of these patterns that are no longer serving you and adopt ones that are serving you much better and so i mean i wish um i wish people could see like this is again kind of what i try to do in my in my shows sometimes is like see that um see what therapy looks like you know um or see different types of it um because i think it would help undo like our ideas of what it is is like i'm an expert you know nothing about yourself i know more about you than you even know about yourself and you're going to pay me this amount of money to learn about it and like it's it's going to be a step backwards you know it's just not the case um of course none of these things are guaranteed outcomes but we 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 know we at least have like a theoretical roadmap. And if the connection's good, the relationship is good between counselor and client. There's a lot you can do with that if you're standing on the ground of like a a sturdy relationship.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm curious how, how much of your practice? I've I've never been in it. I've never been.
1: You're not, in it right now.
0: I'm in it right <laughs> now, it right now de facto,
1: <laughs> shit. <laughs> I
0: should have stayed in the
1: car. Yeah. <laughs> um, Cut it now. It's like we're second half of the podcast is from Doug's car. Uh, yeah, we're passing, <laughs> we're passing around the basketball that's in the backseat.
0: We're still in. We're still in the in the room. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was I going to say there? I was, was going to say how how much of when you're when you're in a session mm-hmm. with uh, with a client mm-hmm. and how much of it is actual training and and work that you do through the schooling through perhaps the textbooks and and whatever it is that you did formally yeah versus just being a sociable conversational human being, if you want to call that, because I think people have different levels of emotional intelligence and other people have kinesthetic intelligence. And we talk about these Mm -hmm. kinds of things in, in sport and Mm -hmm. in counseling. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, is this a skill that you always had? Were you able to allow people to see these sides of themselves that really helped dig it out? Or was it more of a formal training? How much of a balance is there for that?
1: Yeah, that's such a great question. And I think about that I think about that a lot because um, there's a lot of focus these days on presence, like therapeutic presence. And this happens a lot in, you know, and so I do some acting and some improv and some um, kind of theater stuff and people talk about stage presence or like, I don't know what it is about this actor, but they've got something going on. Like, you know, it's like that. It's like Moneyball, the five tools. He's he's a five tool guy. Exactly. And so it's like, what is that? Like, this is a big question. Like, can it be taught? Like people are always doing workshops on like presence. I'm just so interested in like how people are gonna like go about teaching presence. I don't know if it can be taught. I think it can kind of be like uncovered in a way. That's kind of how I think about it. But. Your question reminds me of. Um, um, I have some friends who are dancers, and um, and some they use this 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 phrase, freedom through form. So if you have a form, right, and you know that real well, it allows you to behave freely within it. It's like basketball in a way, right? Like I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna yeah, bring go it all it. back to basketball. <laughs> um, if you if you if you know the rules and you know the offense you're running and you know all this stuff, you can freely be creative within it. Like all the basketball players, they're playing by the same set of rules, but they're playing the game very differently. Um, and if if so, if I'm in a, I believe the best like the best thing I can do in a, in a therapy session, and this is so true for acting too. It's like to me, it's like the exact same thing. Is it's on me to keep my skills sharp to be adding new tools to my tool belt and to be doing that work but doing it outside of sessions. If I'm sitting here and my goal is to connect with you and I'm thinking, okay, okay. So what did they say in that workshop? I got it. Okay. So this, they said this. I'm going to be like, okay, I do these three steps. What's the acronym? It's like, I'm getting in my own way, so it's that stuff to me needs to be kind of like humming on the background. And if it's in there, then I can still be fully present um, and still be drawing from the toolkit, right? So it's so I sometimes have this feel, this kind of image of like I need to be, I need to be out in front of my skills. Like they both matter. Um, but and if, and if they can be working harmoniously, that's like ideal. Like a very skilled therapist, who's also extremely present and available, and is very aware of actually what's going on for them. Like, you know, in session is, is not blocked from their own feelings because they're so fo- in their head about what's the right thing to do. You know, the actor equivalent is like learning your lines, say. It's like, if you know them down pat, you don't have to waste any energy reaching for them, then you can be fully present, right? So it's like, if you, they had this thing was like, Anthony Hopkins was like, he reads the script like a hundred times, like he marks it like one, two, and that takes a long time. And so, and he does other work too, it's not like acting is just learning your lines, but it needs to be like in your bones. And a way that, I, I mean, this is kind of another way that's kind of, um, therapy's um, drawing from, Sports is slowly but surely therapists are, are, are adopting kind of like a model of deliberate practice because for so many years, and this is still the case, and this is this is personally like terrifying to me that this exists and it does. You know, I could have graduated from therapy school, set up a private practice, you know, found my clients, uh, you know, paid my insurance fees and union dues or whatever, um, but you could but no one needs to be monitoring my work anymore after I'm out of school. It's not, it's not mandatory that somebody comes in and like make sure you're doing a good job or like you're not sending any videotapes to anybody and nothing's getting recorded like it was in school. So now we're kind of realizing that um, th- therapists need to practice and stay on top of their craft. And, and it, it, a lot of times I think if you ask them, some of them, what are you doing to stay sharp? Like, what do you mean? I just like, I go to my sessions. I do, you know, eight sessions a day. It's like, that'd be like LeBron James saying, like, I, yeah, I go to the games. Like, yeah. that's how I practice. I just go to the games. It just doesn't make sense. Um, so more and more now there's, like with consent, I will videotape my sessions. I'll hook a little camera right here on this little side table. And, um, and what that means is like, I'm gonna look at the tape, um, so already that, there's like that additional like set of eyes on it after the fact, maybe I'm thinking a bit differently or maybe like something will occur to me. And if I find it really challenging, I might take that tape to supervision, right? And talk to a more experienced therapist and like get kind of coaching on it, right? Um, so it's a higher level of care and it's way better, uh, it's a more efficient way to learn. It's like watching game tape, right? like. You know, we can talk about, hey, it's okay, so in the third quarter there when you pass, it's like you didn't go back door. It's like, you know, and we can kind of fumble around and try to remember what happened, or we can look at the tape, right? Or we can look at the evidence. Um, that to me is very exciting that we're starting to adopt that. Like, I mean, sports has had that down for a while. Like um, musicians have had that down for a while. The 10,000 hour rule thing, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's often associated with that we are finding what's our what's what's a like what's a therapeutic practice process right like actors they get up you know if, if they're serious about it they get up and they do their you know vocal warm ups and their you know uh, movement exercises and they stay kind of fit and <laughs> nimble and they do their text analysis and they're reading plays and they're, and they're working it cuz if you're not it's just not going to stay the tool's not gonna stay sharp and ready for you when you need it, so you get called to audition and you feel like you have to go like, give yourself a boot camp or something to get yourself back to where you know you can be. It's just not an effective strategy. And I'm I'm very excited and I'm actually doing some, I do some consulting with a company called TheraView and they're, they've made this like online deliberate practice program for therapists and it's been really cool for me because it's like, we will get actors to come in and like, um, portray difficult clients. So you can go online and like kind of get reps of difficult client situations. So it's like getting dropped into a game, it's like fourth quarter, 10 seconds left, just continue with the basketball analogies. Um, Of course it'd be good to rep those difficult situations, you know, so they don't seem difficult when you're in them in real life. And that's one way that we're kind of drawing from what we already know from a lot of research that like therapists tend to get a little bit better right after graduate school for like a year or two years, and then they plateau, and then they actually get worse towards the end of their career if they're not doing anything about it. Because you can kind of get into that rut of, ah, this is, this is how I do it, and I'm just kind of like. This e- is my job. This is my job, and I'm kind of going through the motions a little bit.
0: All right. I want to shift a little bit towards the initial conversation that you have. Say, say a, a, a new client wants to work with you, and you're setting out, I don't wanna say the boundaries, but what it's going to look like to have a, again, we'll go back to what you said earlier, just a therapeutic alliance with this person. Mm-hmm. When you're setting that out at the start, what does that look like? Are you, are you seeking a specific result? Like if that person comes in and says, hey, I'm, I'm dealing with this issue, mm-hmm. or I've had this problem for 20 plus years, or I've always thought this way, or, or whatever it is, are you, in your own process, you're thinking to yourself, what does a successful result look like for this person? Because I feel like in the therapy world, because again, I'm just learning a lot, a lot sure. about some of the stuff, the results can maybe seem ambiguous, right. right? You're not, there's no concrete thing that we're going for, per, per se. Right. Correct me if I'm wrong, and, and, and again, through, through your answer, I'm sure you'll get through this, but mm-hmm. you know, because we walk into, and this is where we kind of, I guess, segue into the, the life coaching aspect yes. of things, which is a very different world, but along the same path. Mm-hmm. A lot of the life coaches, the people in that area have a specific goal. That they want to get you to, and if mm-hmm. you get to that space, then that's a successful mm-hmm. relationship. Yeah, right. So yeah. I'm curious if if it's similar for for you.
1: Yeah, and I actually think that's one of the ways that life coaches are um, on the right track, which is being explicit about what the goal is. So for me, I think that's an important part of therapy. You know, I. Probably not everybody does. It kind of depends on how you work, but I think that's just an essential thing that you need to start with. Is like what, like being very clear with the client on like what their therapeutic goals are. Like I'm gonna have my thoughts and feelings about what's up and what we might do, and I could offer those or I can give them a sense of like how we might move together towards these therapeutic goals. But I think they need to be named explicitly. also, because lots of times, people come in and you'll say, like, you can if you ask, like, what's your. So, what would be your goal, or what would be like a, a successful therapeutic outcome for you? And they'll say, well, you know, my boss is an idiot, or like they'll say something that really doesn't have anything to do with them. Like that may be true, but it's like okay, but internally, for you. Like, what? how would we know that we've made some progress for you, right? Because this is like, you're here. Your boss isn't here. So, but, but already this is really good information about like, you know, where are they putting the problems and like what's kind of going on in their world. But coming back to like, what's something that we could track together. It's like every time I wanna be assertive with my boss, I just kind of feel like I collapse internally and I can't do anything and I, um get anxious and I just go have to leave the office or go home early. It's like now we're getting somewhere, right? Like that's something that they could work on inside them, um, that we could track together and that in the way that I work and it's very, the kind of the, the, the parts of therapy that I find very exciting are using an experiential approach. So if that were the goal, say assertiveness, right? Um, that exists out there in their life, but it will certainly show up in session between me and them. So if I know what it is, and, and it, it, it comes, it naturally arises, I'm not trying to provoke it or anything, but like as we work on it, it'll just come. Where like, you know, somebody, conflict is so hard for people, right? Like it's, they might want to say something for me, even a small disagreement. Um, and that can be very hard for them to say to a therapist, and there's this power dynamic here. We try our best to, you know, level that out, but it still exists. Um, so for that person to be able to practice assertiveness here with me, as we're working on kind of understanding maybe some of the origins of that, that's huge. It's a huge, huge opportunity. And if we can, it, if the thing that we're wanting to work on is happening right now between us, that can really be this ripple effect. Of, like we can practice it here. It's like. Going to the gym and having a personal trainer—it's like we're going to work on it here, and then you can take it with you at some point. And then now you know how to, you know, you know how this exercise works, or you know how your body works, or your emotions work in these ways. Um, that's really cool to me. But I think it's a great—I I really appreciate your um, your question, and and that's so true. And I imagine, I imagine from the life coach world, which I don't have a ton of experience with, I imagine like a, kind of a stereotype of the therapy world is we're just kind of like sitting around, like we're going kind of slow and just kind of like getting in there and just, ah, let's just muck around in here and see what's going on. It's kind of like, it can be seen as maybe a little bit indulgent or, um, and some of the history of it kind of is, right? Like it's kind of elitist and like, it's it's quite a privilege to like, you know, in the past is like, psychoanalysis and you're going like multiple times a week for like your whole life and like, you know, um, that's great, but it's also, that's not the way that contemporary therapy is being done. Um, so a bigger thing for me is like, wow, it'd be so cool if, if, um, because certainly on the therapy side, there's judgments towards the life coach side. It'd be, but it would be so much better and so much healthier if we could just be trying to understand each other because there's probably just, just um, way more commonalities than differences. And if we can just, like, get out of the way of the judgment for a sec and figure out, like, what they're doing that's effective and maybe they could learn from our side what we're doing that's effective, there are some just kind of, like, kind of ethical stuff or like training level stuff that could get in the way of that. But on a very basic level, um, I think the tools and the skills that life coaches all, all often have are great. I mean, sometimes they're great, sometimes they're shitty or just like, don't have any substance and that's, you know, there's a therapy equivalent of that too. Uh, but I kind of see that as like the acquiring of skills, and this is kind of a basic way to talk about it. But then I, I see like the therapy of like, like kind of removing some layers and getting down to what, what feels true and feels authentic. So if you have a good set of skills and you're operating them from a true and authentic place, that's a very, very good place to be working from, right? Like if, if, um, like if you if you were you know. Pl- uh, Like if 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 the younger me were playing basketball, knowing it was coming from a very true and authentic place, and I was also developing these skills, like how good would that feel to know that you're feeling like you're mastering something that's meaningful and important to you? That's nearing where I'm getting to now. um, In that, oh, I think maybe, maybe what feels kind of true and meaningful to me is to be almost this like connector, like middle middleman between these different areas that are often kind of siloed, like like, like life coaching and uh, and counseling. It's like, I, I wonder if I could be a person who can kind of like, you know, be accepted into both camps. And I'm doing this with theater and therapy all the time. It's like, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to take anything away from actors or teach them acting. I'm trying to add something Um, from my training and my experience, but in their language. So to do that, I've been learning about what their language is and how they do it. And as I've been doing that, I'm seeing all these similarities. And there aren't many people just doing, like working at it from a middle space. Often what I say is in um, theater and therapy stuff, if every you know actor were also a therapist we'd be doing acting a little differently not crazy differently but like we'd be maybe going about it in a little bit safer way cuz to me the safer you can be the deeper you can go because it's not it's not as scary so the system's not taking a toll from like going to some Hard emotional place. We can we can do it in a cleaner way because we know ourselves and we know our emotions better. The same is probably true with life coaches and therapists. If every therapist also had trained as a life coach, there would be different things they would be employing, and they would probably be still be doing some of their their therapeutic stuff that they were taught. A big thing for the life coaches is like they seem to have a way better like business savvy, and they're like out there and they're like they're ready to like you know, find new clients and they have like skills to, like drum them up. Therapists are just like, they're terrified of that by and large, they're, they don't, it's not business school, it's therapy school, they teach you nothing. And so you have to learn all that yourself or you don't or you could work for an agency or something, but like, I'm, like that's a, there's a huge market for just like confused therapists, conf- business wise, who like have a lot to offer, they just don't know how to find the clients that they want. I, my, I include myself in this. I'm learning as I go and like finding my avenues. But I certainly haven't. I, you know, I, I don't. I wouldn't say I have a sound business model. In the past, my business model has been like do good work, and then that's just the best thing I can do. But I'm in in recent years. I've been like, well, it's got to be more than that because I need to. I need to find a way to um, at least expose myself or, or raise awareness in the communities that I want to work with and believe that I can help. And then they can make the choice if they wanna come and talk to me more. But so large, some of those lanes have been through my like, public facing endeavors and the, the speaking and the performing and whatnot, which I found to be very helpful, um, both for getting my name out there and then also just for my own process of like, I know how I talk about this one-on-one, I'm I'm constantly learning how I talk about it in a public way, which is a little bit different. And I have to kind of tweak some things to make it, um, to meet people on the level where they're at.
0: Mm-hmm. I got a few things to pull out of that. So I'm gonna try and keep them all and uh, ask them as they come. To summarize on the life coach versus therapist, my own intake of this, and you can let me know what you think about it, is that it doesn't so much matter whether or not they're following one side of the coin, the I'm calling myself a life coach or I'm a therapist what really matters is the authenticity within which they practice. So if they are a life coach and for example, I've worked with a guy who helps people establish what's called an intention Mm -hmm. or a life purpose. And it's the name of my podcast, which is grow, give, expand. Mm -hmm. That to me is an intention that I worked on with a guy who qualifies himself as a life coach. Mm -hmm. And I would not have gotten the value out of working with him or a session with him. If I did not feel that he lived the values that he was right. bringing to me. Right. And it was very clear through the conversations that I had had with other people about this individual mm-hmm. and in the immediate two to three minutes of just introducing ourselves over a, a Zoom call, albeit, mm-hmm. that this was a man that lived what he was preaching. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so I think maybe it's the same thing on the therapy side as well. It is. You so, feeling that? Th-
1: so um, often what they say is, um, and this is supported by the research, is that it's the relationship that heals. This is in the therapy side, right? So it's there's all these different therapeutic orientations, modalities. Um, the biggest predictor of successful outcomes is their therapeutic relationship or the therapeutic alliance. And that's something that, you could be doing it from, all the, from any angle. It doesn't matter what therapy school you went to. It's like, if that click is there, um, way more likely to be successful in their counseling goals. Um, what I'm hearing you say about this guy is, is, the life coach version of that seemed to be there where you, you sensed some authenticity, you weren't being BSed, he seemed, to have, he seemed to be practicing what he's preaching. Um, and that sounds great. Like, so if like, if the, if, the, if the connection's there and it feels true, there's a lot you can do with that. A big thing that therapists often kind of mark is that, I don't know how that person works, but I'm just speaking of life coaches in general. If, if their process is around doing some deeper emotional work and they don't maybe have full the full skills to handle that, if it gets a little bit off course, like it can, it can be brought back and therapists are trained in this, but like you'd wanna make sure the safety net's there. It, like it doesn't, sa- I'm not, again, not suggesting that any boundaries were crossed with this person. It sounds like it was very uh, fruitful, but that's, that's often a caution of counselors is like wanting to make sure that people are safe. Because when we trust somebody and we open up that's great, but it can also be kind of scary, depending on. It's like, you know, people can be taken advantage of in that way, right? Like, and we we we've seen this before, and and, and it's it's not that that's not true of therapists. The same thing can be true of therapists, but that's often something that comes in around like, whatever that person was using is obviously an effective tool, but we but how great would it be if there was that and also um, an underlying kind of knowledge of psychotherapy to make sure that. The person like there's like a holding space for it, and that work though it sounds like maybe that's that's less necessary because it's maybe a different like fi- like finding your intention. I don't know how he goes about it, but like there could be safer ways to do that where you it doesn't require full psychotherapy training. But it it, it strikes me as being very ideal if there can be the um yeah like a strong like, like a very could be very there can be very potent. Tools or strategies to um, to you know live life more effectively. Like who are the people like you know Tim Ferriss or the people like this, like who are like kind of searching those things out all the time. And it's also great to have the other side. So it's coming back to kind of what I was saying before about like a bottom up. It's like as I, that's how I often think about therapy or at least the kind of therapies I'm interested in and a top down like let's give you these tools and see what you do with them versus like let's go in in a safe way and see what comes up. right yeah
0: I, I can see the two different approaches and what you're talking about there is they the combination of the two there there's some way I, I see in yourself trying to find the way to bridge the gap as it were to bring yeah. those two together perhaps. and
1: also the word coaching right like so the word counseling is unprotected. So I'm a registered clinical counselor. That's a protected term, and you need to have these credentials for it, and you you know, apply it to this association. But counseling, like you're a counselor right now, if you want to be right, like you can just put you know Doug Myers counselor. Um, there's uh, you know, you can go to become an addictions counselor. Um, and and some programs are really good, but some are really kind of money grabs and they're short it's like and so for the public seeing counselor it has all these associations but there's also all these different kind of categories of it we're kind of working on this as a field to clarify and demystify and um, regulate it a little bit more just so it's clearer for the people we're serving Um, but sometimes these words like coaching coach or consultant can be much friendlier and more inviting, right? So it's like, okay, I'm not going to see a counselor and I have some kind of negative associations with what I think that is, but I'll go and see a consultant to consult with me on this role that I'm working on for this show. And if that consultants me, like I'm just very clear with them on like, okay, so I kind of do both. And it often starts as a consultancy and it can stay in that lane because I know where the line is but if it starts to lean closer to where it could be counseling, I'll just kind of flag it and say, okay, and this is good, like, it's kind of like psychoeducation for people, like, okay, we're still in consultant land where you're asking me questions about your character and I'm kind of like telling you from my experience how you know they might be using this maladaptive defense to cover up this core emotion or whatever. Um, but as we're going and the person starts to share maybe some of their experiences with a uh, defense or emotion like that, I can just leg that and say, okay, this would be us entering a new relationship if we wanted to follow this lane that's emerging. And then they can make that choice, right? So they're like, oh, interesting. So this is where consultant might end, at least for me in my work, and counseling might begin. And then people can have that choice. But what's brought them in, and this is again, back to my like meeting people where they're at, is wanting to be better at their craft. Like, you know, these days the craft, like the craft is typically acting stuff, but it can be many other things. And like, hey, I wanna come in and do better at this. But in that process, we might find something about themselves that might be worth looking at, but only if they want to, right? Like, it's not like I'm just gonna suddenly swoop in and start working with them on, um, you know, some conflicted emotions that they haven't given their permission for me to do, right? It's like, this is a huge part of like the the beginning of the counseling process is setting goals and getting permission and like, and um, I have this uh, supervisor that I've been seeing recently and um, he's big on just being explicit about the goals and, and getting permission. But then once you have the permission, he's like, you know, when you give a surgeon your permission to do heart surgery, like you want him to do heart surgery now. And so once I have their permission, it's like I want to really be able to feel my anger instead of it crumbling into sadness. I'm going to be working with that, which may not always be fun in every single moment, but we've made the agreement that this is the goal so we can always step back and say, right? Like, is this still feeling comfortable for you? And I can kind of, you know, pull back the curtain a little bit and explain like, some of the processes going on and why this might be effective, but it doesn't mean that every single moment's gonna be fun, just like not every single moment of going to the personal is fun. I have to do 10 more burpees? It's like, fuck you. It's like, well, the goal is you wanted to lose five pounds. Yep. And so I'm helping you move towards your goal. Are you still interested in that goal? It's like So just being very transparent about the process can be helpful there. Um,
0: and if I may interject, mm-hmm. that, that's very difficult when it comes to Mental sides of things. You know, it's very easy, at least in my opinion, just because I've gone through it for years and years. It's very easy for me to give consent to the basketball coach mm-hmm. to, all right, you guys aren't working hard? Well, we're going to run lines for 45 minutes straight. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I give consent to that because at the end of the day, I know that that allows me to be in better shape so that I can be a better player. Yeah. Just to take, again, back sure. to the basketball yeah. analogies. Yeah. But if... I'm in a uh, counseling relationship with somebody or a therapy therapy relationship, it's so much harder and just in my own mind and that takes time and that takes a lot of work on yourself to allow you permission and allow yourself permission to be coached in that way from somebody else because totally. it, it ticks a little bit of a different button almost this button of rejection and fear and oh my god if this person finds out this about me they're not going to like me and all that Absolutely. all that kind of shit
1: yeah and it's very vulnerable right so that's yeah. why it's um that's why it is a process and um and everything you're saying there i mean and especially for men it's so true it's like that's it's like we're so, not all of us, but many of us, especially if we've played sports, it's like we're, it's so normalized that we get not only, you know, put through the ringer um, physically, I mean, just like through like, you know, running lines, like you're saying, but, but like verbally abused lots of the time. Like, like everybody, you're lucky if you've played sports competitively and haven't been, it's like, I, I almost don't even know if it even exists if you haven't been verbally abused once. Or like, like, you know, Torn a strip off, like all these, like the way we normalize that in sports, it's like, um, and it's not that people can't be taking it seriously and raising their voice, but like there's a line there, and so, but that we've like there's permission, like that's part of that culture, so we kind of like allow that, but then sometimes for men, it's like to do the same thing emotionally or to ask, to feel some of, um, or acknowledge some sadness or shame, it's like suddenly that's out of bounds. And that's, I get that. And it's not, we don't want, we wouldn't want to like um, force it in counseling, but as we go, we could be acknowledging that it is hard, like asking about um, sadness or shame and the person ducking it and then having the counselor acknowledge that, you know, in a good way, not like in a ridiculing, like you don't wanna double down on the shame, but just acknowledging the difficulty of it and, and just kind of like understanding the walls around that together, like getting a lay of the land. Like, what, you know, it, there's, okay, so there's some barrier between us here. Are you aware of that as well? It's like, yeah, totally. I mean, this is like, I get a certain type of tension in my chest when you ask me, um, you know, how did it feel? when my partner dumped me. It's like, it's like there's a certain like, Ugh, you know, we don't wanna, let's not share that because if we share that, you know, all, all the masculine stuff around, it, uh, it's not exclusively masculine, but like around, I'm weak, you're gonna think less of me. It's like all these things we tell ourselves to put ourselves away, right? Like to keep ourselves down. It's, it's, it's fascinating what we'll do with, um, what we'll do with shame. Shame's such a big one. I was listening to this other, I was listening to another podcast. I hope that's okay, Doug, that I listen to other podcasts. (laughs) It's okay. I'm
0: feeling a little bit of infidelity though. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) We can work on that. Um, You didn't get my consent, Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) May I? You just get texted from me to say, may I? Um, And this actor was talking about, um, I thought it was really beautiful, was talking about shame and just saying, Um, how moved he is by shame, because it's such a hard one. It's like the hardest. It's like so hard to live and sit with shame, but yet it's also very touching to see it because it's like you're stuffing yourself down for me or for, because you can't let somebody else know about this because it would be like, it feels like death if, if somebody knew this, you know, secret of this thing we're holding close and so it's it's painful and it's also kind of touching he was saying and i thought that's a really nice way to to look at it for me sometimes at the end of a a long day of counseling um i'll think to myself like there'll be themes that come up throughout the day and like shame's a big one and I'll, i'll go wow i wish so i'm i'm bound by confidentiality and that's a really important part of of the counseling process, but at the end of the day, sometimes I'll go like, ooh, I wish every individual client I saw today could just like meet each other and know what they were saying to me, because it's all so similar. And just the the kind of universality of it, if they were just to just be able to talk with each other, it, I just think, you know, the work that I'm doing, I'm confident in, but like, how nice would that be if, they could, if we could all know there were all, you know, fighting very similar internal battles here. And that's why group counseling can be very effective. Um, But that's also why I think things like, you know, things even like this podcast or speaking things or like getting this, you know, getting this message out there that we're less alone than we think we are.
0: I was biting my tongue on that one there to just Can you, again, without breaching any confidentiality around any of the conversations you had, but what are those similarities that people are dealing with? Because if obviously eight people in in a day that you had seen were all feeling similar things and you're thinking to yourself, gosh, if you could have just been here two hours ago to listen to... John Doe talk about that mm-hmm. you'd realize that this isn't only your problem this is everybody else's problem so i'm just curious how but that's know, a, i think that's what kind, kind of, of similarities those are
1: like in asking it is almost answering it in a way like there's it's kind of the so there's there's kind of the internal emotional stuff that we struggle with which there are similarities there but then it's wrapped in this secondary thing which is like i have to be alone with this no one else gets this And that's the really toxic part is so there's the feeling, you know, and in kind of the form of therapy I'm training, they call it unbearable aloneness. So it's like not only do I have to have this feeling, it's wrapped in this thing that I have to be alone with this and it would hurt people if they knew and I can never let it out. So it just festers. So I'm, so that's just the aloneness part. So we haven't even got down to the what the thing even is. It's just like this feeling that I'm stuck with this, like a weight, and I can never put it down, and I just have to endure this. And and you know that that's like a sentence, right? Like it, it, it's and so if people just knew that, right? Like even if they didn't even even if people didn't even fully know, right? Like what is the you know the internal emotional issue of, you know, their fellow human, if we just knew that there was, if we just could be assured that other people feel that too, like that would already do something because this, this, this toxicity of being a feeling like we're alone with stuff is really, um, is really scary. I think it's a big, um, It's kind of, it's often the first thing that's, that we're looking at undoing in therapy is like, okay, we, we, there's still work to do, but you're at least not alone with this right now because you're talking about it to me. I get that, you know, this is a particular type of situation uh, and there's people maybe you'd want to share this with in your life and maybe like we can get there, but for right now it's like how or how does it feel just to be sharing it with me it's often a huge relief
0: mhm really really fascinating man really good i'm i'm enjoying this i'm enjoying this a lot because it's it's opening or answering a lot of the questions that i had about the whole therapeutic practice and what that looks like without i guess digging into it myself which sure. which is uh one Kind of shameful as I say that I think we'll need to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also
1: normal, right? Like it's, um,
0: well, it's just, it, sorry to interject again, yeah. but it's difficult to even just feel comfortable asking the question in a lot of ways mm-hmm. because just, uh, you know, I'm speaking to my own experience. At least we talk about the culture around therapy and we talk about the, the culture behind psychology and everything about it and everything that I know about it, because I'm just if I didn't go into the field that I went into from an education standpoint, mm-hmm. I would have actually ended up in psychology as well.
1: Uh, we lost you. We lost you. you we did. could have had you, we lost you. Yeah, 100%. But we'll the, get you back. Uh,
0: yeah, but it's funny because now, you know, a lot of the conversations that I have with people and, and without slapping a counselor label on myself because I'm not that at all. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting when I'll get into conversations with people and um, through the way that questions get asked Mm -hmm. and a presence that I have with people just when I get into that space, Mm -hmm. we're able to dig into things that when i wasn't being comfortable being that person, Mm -hmm. I was not able to get into, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Oh yeah, totally makes sense. And so it's just interesting because again, I didn't go down that path because I was afraid of how long it took from a schooling standpoint. Right. I had other priorities that I was going towards, but it's a very big interest to me. So to be able to ask you the questions about what it looks like now is, is really cool.
1: Yeah. And I think it's I mean, yeah, you'll, You. it sounds like you're already picking up just in the work that you're doing now and in, in, um, in various fields, kind of like there's a real through line quality to this where I'm big on just like, I mean, I've said this a few times here, but like if I can kind of repurpose what I know clinically and, and, and put it in different containers or packages, and like present it. I'm not even talking about like for money making endeavors or like, it's like, just like, but to present what I know in language that you know, like we're doing this here with talking about basketball all the time, or like, just like, that comes very naturally to me. And also I'm a little bit of a, um, I don't know, I was gonna say jack of all trades, but like, I'm very curious about a lot of different things. And sometimes I need to monitor that because there's a certain amount of like spreading myself too thin where I'm like, Hop, island hopping a bit, but like, but when it's in balance, I think it's very healthy for me because I'm going, spending time in these different communities um, and learning about what the needs are and not coming in and claiming I have some big answers, but just like I can at least share what I know, but in the language that that community uses. So, right, in your in your world, I don't really know your, like, I mean, you have multiple worlds, I guess, but in, like, real estate or engineering or the, like the, the self-help stuff, I don't know what you would call you, But I bet you there's so much that we could meet in the middle on um, that could be reciprocal and, and, and mutually beneficial, right? And that's what's really exciting to me, is this idea of, like, car, like back to that middle space thing of, like, there's a real skill set in being between, like in the space between. I think that's like, kind of like, you know, that's my um, big effort here in the work that I do is like, so I could apply that to theater and therapy like I'm doing these days. But that skill set of, oh, how do I, how do I navigate as a psychotherapist who's a go-between to communities, okay. I'm, uh, so it's lots of it's listening. Okay, so I'm hearing you that this is what's going on in life coach land. Okay, cool. I'm going to these trainings uh, with these psychoanalysts in New York. Here's what they're saying. Whoa, that's what they're saying. Oh, interesting. And then so we start to be able to share ideas. What I what what always is um, tough for me is then when people kind of. Um, so there's a certain quality of just like digging your heels in to like, okay, I know this now, this is the way that I know it, this is the way I view the world, and I'm just gonna sit down, and I'm never gonna move again. And like, you right. know, and I, I just can't, I personally just can't do that. Um, and so part of my kind of work, I think, is like going around and like, not aggressively, but kind of gently just like jostling those people and being like, hey, like, just, yeah, you know, can we just talk for a few minutes? You know, right. like I think we could probably learn from each other.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that's very good. I'm um, being mindful of the time here because I know we have uh, we have a hard stop coming up here. I think we'll just kind of keep it there. If there's one more, if there's one thing that I would like to say just to add on what you had, what you had just said there about all these different worlds, I feel like there's a there's a definite line going through all of them. I've sat in many uh, real estate workshop seminar on a mm-hmm. weekend or a uh, extended meditation session or mm-hmm. read a variety of what you would call them self-help books mm-hmm. or personal development books or anything along those lines. And in fact, a lot of the people who have come on the podcast would consider themselves in those fields mm-hmm. and or significantly practicing and or investing in those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And they come from all different walks, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, a frequent number of them, of course, involved in real estate, just because that's a line that follows through and I think should follow through everybody. But it's a good point that you make. And as we sit in your in your office, your studio here, you know, there's a variety of different books on the walls behind you and there's art. And, uh, you know, we are just talking about how uh, you spend time making music and, of course, our sporting background. And what I'm basically getting down to is that there's this, There is a line, a continuum between all these things that suggests to me that the internal work and asking yourself some of those tough questions to get down to the bottom of why you're feeling the way that you are feeling. Or if there was something bigger, something, again, to go back to shadow, Doug, Mm -hmm. something that you felt like you could let out. Mm hmm it exists in everything that you do and until you start to ask those questions Mm -hmm. start to dig into it whether it's through therapy through life coaching through reading a book that it's always there and until you start digging into it Mm -hmm. I feel like once you do Mm -hmm. you open up the possibilities on all these different planes
1: yes absolutely I think yeah my I totally agree and my response to that is um and there's maybe a tie in here to, your, to the, your intention work with that life coach and getting the name for the podcast and just getting clear on that is because for me, the way I, sometimes I'm perceived is like, oh, that's, you know, Kevin does a lot of different things. And for me, I'm like, I feel like I do one thing. You know, I'm just doing one thing. I'm just doing it everywhere I'm going. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's coming with me. Like, I am, like an acting, they, also, like, you know, they talk about you are the instrument. You don't have, not everybody's gonna like the sound of my instrument, you know what I mean? But like, I'm gonna play the notes that I know and I'll play them here in a session, in a, you know, acting audition, when I'm teaching a uh, counseling class, you know, when I'm doing public speaking thing. I'm just gonna be tuning it a little bit differently, right? So like, but, I'm trying to get better about um, being clear with people on that—that that I'm not just like bouncing around haphazardly, although that sometimes I can do that when I get, you know, excited about a new thing. But for the most part, I'm just trying to make sure that the things that I'm doing are congruent with me, and to and to kind of click in those skills as we've been talking about them to my sense of self as it is in this day, you know. So. I know what that feels like, that, that feels like something to me to go like, Ooh, this is a, this is a yes, or this is something I'm excited about. And to follow that versus following that kind of old pattern for me that we touched on at the beginning of this conversation about like somebody, somebody saw something in me and I just kind of like followed it without much deliberation or internal work. I'm, I'm doing my best to move away from that and i'm pretty like i try to like this is the work that i'm in and i try to be aware of it but i still miss it sometimes and to be gentle with myself when i miss it like oh that's interesting for some reason i find myself taking on a project that halfway through i go like what am i doing here again you know and that and that has a particular feeling too so it's like how well can i know myself to be able to catch those things as close to the initial stimulus as possible
0: wow that was very relatable i think we got to leave it at that i feel we, we didn't even get into anything about the uh the acting you said therapy in theater mm-hmm. is that a your program or is that a program that you're part of just real no, quickly it's,
1: no no it's just um it's just me existing in both of those worlds so um just you applying my therapy work in the roles that I do. Some, I've done you know, workshops um, on like theater skills for therapists, so they're not looking to be performers, but it's just like, what are the, because um actors do a lot of cool work around like the embodiment of emotions, and, and therapists do lots of similar work, but it can be a bit heady and intellectual, so it's like how to ground those things. Um, so just kind of things in that world, I'm, I'm always very interested in the, in the overlaps between the two.
0: Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, we'll leave it at that again. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited because it's this interesting conversation and I know there's so much behind that. So Mm -hmm. I think, I think we'll try and we'll try and do that at some point, but for now, this has been a a very different, very unique style of uh, the Grow Grave Expand podcast with Mr. Kevin Kakoska. I'm really grateful that you can come on the show here.
1: Yeah. Thank you again for having me, Doug. And let's, um, let's keep shadow Doug in the light. Oh, nice. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Good to see you, man. Good to see you too.
0: Kevin Kokoska, finishing strong with the closing remarks there. Always a witty one indeed. An incredible human being. And once again, thank you to Kevin for coming on the show. If you want to get in touch with Kevin to find out more about his private practice, Kokoska and Co., you can do so on Instagram at Kev Kokoska. That's K-E-V-K-O-K-O-S-K-A. Before we sign off, a big thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in. If you enjoyed what you heard on the show, please let us know by leaving a review. And if you really like the show, we'd be grateful if you were to share it on your social media platforms with your friends, your family, or anyone else you feel could gain from the content contained here within. In doing so, you'll be growing the connections you have with others, giving the gift of knowledge and inspiration, and expanding your reach as a positive action taker in the communities that you are a part of. This has been the Grow, Give, Expand podcast with your host, Doug Myers. And until next time, keep growing, giving, and expanding.